Brother Edward Anderson, who is our speaker, of course, for the meeting, will be conducting the Bible study class here in the auditorium this morning. We have for some time looked forward to this gospel meeting. We have certainly been very appreciative of the efforts of, of Brother Anderson for, for some number of years in the Carthage area and even in the Jackson County and other areas nearby as well. And we're just delighted that he is able to be with us this week, delighted for his capability his earnestness and sincerity and soundness in the truth. And I know that we each will be uplifted and encouraged very, very much by the things he has to say to us, not only this morning, but all throughout the duration of the meeting. So to not take any more of Brother Edward's time, let me just turn the class over to him at this time, Brother Edward. I am honored indeed to be with you for this series of meetings. I too have looked forward to it for a long time. I preached in Putnam County for a period of time when I was at Monterey up on the other end of the county. But it always, I believe Brother Albert Ward was preaching here at that time. It seemed always like a, when there was a meeting here, I had to be preaching somewhere in a meeting and I didn't get to visit with you folks during that time. But uh, that's been many years ago. Been at Carthage since 1976 and moved there in September. I'm happy to see Marcia back there this morning and Stella that were with us at Carthage uh, over the years. Good to have them. Of course, I've known Denise and Randy for a long time. Uh, Notice I mentioned her name first. I think I met her first. But at any rate, uh, they and the girls are dear friends of ours, and uh, we love them and respect them highly. And we're looking forward to getting to know all of you. I've met a lot of you already this morning, a lot of Mayberries and Flats and Frizzells, and I've understood that they all have, and Dyers, and they have Jackson County connections. And uh, met Brother Peak. I've heard of him for a long time, and uh, just happy to be here. And I do hope that uh, we can accomplish good together in this series of meetings. Uh, I've already been told by several people that are my friends that uh, they have been invited to this meeting. So that speaks well of you, and uh, you're going out and encouraging people to come to the meeting, and we hope that you'll do that. Uh, I'm happy to come early and stay late and help in any way that I can. If, I have any, if you have questions uh, about the lessons and so on, of course, always feel free to, to talk to me about that, and uh, we'll be happy to study and help uh, in any way that we can uh, while we're here. We'll have more to say about those matters. My wife and mother-in-law uh, usually go with me to meetings, but uh, at the morning services a lot of times they do not uh, get out that early. My mother-in-law has diabetes and some other health issues, and it takes her a while to get up and get started. And, of course, you know, there has to be the fixing of the hair and all of that. And so they, they do all of that and uh, do not uh, come with me usually on Sunday mornings, but they will be with us during the meeting, and I'm looking forward to that. We're looking forward to a good meeting and getting to know all of you. Since this is a gospel meeting, I want us to approach it during the Bible study hour this morning as an evangelistic effort. That is what it always needs to be. I remember the days of 10-day, two-weeks meetings. Uh, I can remember when gospel meetings would be characterized by a number of baptisms. 
but we baptized a lot of people over the years in Flynn's Creek. I remember J.B. Gaither doing that. I remember the afternoon that Ben Flat was baptized into Christ during a gospel meeting. Remember turning the car lights down toward the creek and everybody walking down the bank. And, and uh, those meetings were truly evangelistic efforts. We've gotten away from that to some degree, in my opinion. So let's try to make this an evangelistic effort. If you know people who aren't members of churches of the Church of Christ, be sure to invite them to come and be with us. We're not going to humiliate or embarrass them. We'll speak the truth in love. But this provides us an opportunity to engage in the work of evangelism. And it's still true that most people attend religious services for the first time in a given place not because of the preacher, not because of the beauty or the comfort of the building, not for the fact that it's close to their homes. They attend because they were invited by a friend. That's still true today. And we should take advantage of that to invite our friends to come and be with us. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our charge. Those words were originally spoken to the apostles, but they are given to us today as well. We're to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that the Lord has commanded us, according to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I want us to think this morning about the matter of evangelism. The words of Jesus are very daunting. They're quite challenging, aren't they? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature we're talking about between six and seven billions of people upon this earth at the present time and we think well it's just impossible to get the gospel to all those people the gospel was preached in the roman world in paul's day according to colossians 1 and keeping with what jesus had said taking the gospel into all the world we're presently studying in the book of Acts, as I understand from Randy that you've been studying here as well. But we've been looking at it from the standpoint of, uh, and I believe as Matthew Scoggins telling me that last night. I'm getting older and sometimes these conversations run together. At any rate, none of you can identify with that, I'm sure. At, at any rate, uh, the book of Acts we're looking at from the standpoint of taking the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. And we're looking at all the cities in which the gospel is preached. The changes wrought in those cities and in those cultures by the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to both Jew and Gentile, according to Romans 1.16. And it is amazing to notice the change that was wrought in the Roman world by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, incidentally, the Roman world had many of the same problems that we have today in our culture. There was great immorality. There were all kinds of religious movements afoot. The gospel took on every one of those. These people were challenged to change. 
The gospel called for that change, and the change was wrought in the lives of multitudes of people as they heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel of Christ. It's amazing that when the book of Acts closes, having started with the preaching of the gospel in Jerusalem, the gospel is now being preached in Rome, the capital of the empire. And Paul is there preaching and teaching the gospel to all those who came to him uh, there in his own hired house. We sometimes apologize for the gospel today. We don't want to offend anybody today. But the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. And it's our responsibility to take it to a lost and dying world. Now, there are some things that I want us to observe. The early church took this commission given by the Lord very seriously. In Acts chapter 2, here were lowly Galileans chosen as apostles by Jesus upon whom the Holy Spirit had come in Acts 2. And lo and behold, they faced this vast audience of at best skeptical Jews. Many of them had been involved in the crucifixion of Jesus himself. And so the apostles stood up and preached Jesus Christ unto those folks. Peter said, this Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God by the miracles that he did. In effect, he said, him declare I unto you. And he began to preach Jesus as the Savior of the world. 3,000 people obeyed the gospel that day. Now, lesser men would have said, oh, this is, this is impossible. These people crucified Jesus uh, somewhat, somewhere around 50 days prior to this date. And uh, here we are challenging their thinking and expecting them to change their views? Well, that's not going to happen. But that's not the attitude that the apostles had. They had been with Jesus, and because of that, they were filled with faith and courage and conviction. And guided by the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of the promise that Jesus had made to them, they spoke the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, and the world was forevermore changed. Now, a little bit later, a great persecution arose against them. And it was as if all the forces of evil said, we're going to shut down this movement. But I've often said that it was like trying to put out a fire with gasoline. When the gasoline of persecution was thrown on the church. Instead of the flame of zeal going out, it burned even brighter, didn't it? And it began to spread. Saul of Tarsus was leading that persecution. And it's amazing that just after his conversion, it is said that the churches in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had rest and the number of the disciples continued to multiply. Here was the religious zealot who led that persecution, Saul of Tarsus, a man highly educated, a man who would do so much in the service of the Lord, 
You think the Lord didn't know that this man would be qualified to challenge the Jews of his day and to take the gospel into the Gentile world because he was a man who knew languages, he understood cultures, he knew how to deal with people. And so he became the apostle to the Gentiles. And the gospel was taken into all the world. But notice in Acts 8 verse 4, they who were scattered abroad by that persecution wrought by Saul went everywhere preaching the word. They took the words of Jesus seriously. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and teach all nations. These people went everywhere preaching the word. And they were scattered all over the Roman Empire by that persecution. Some of them ended up in Corinth and Ephesus and just all over the place. And lo and behold, the gospel continued to spread until it was indeed a worldwide effect. Two or three questions that we want to ask and answer in our remaining time about evangelism. Number one, what is it? Well, in order to know what evangelism is, we need to understand what an evangelist is. Because an evangelist is one who engages in evangelism. Uh, the word evangelist comes from two Greek words, or uh, really it's a two-part word, eu, and uh, then angelos. When it put together, it means a messenger of good. Angelos means messenger, a well messenger, a, a messenger who brings something that is desirable and good. He proclaims and announces glad tidings of good things. That is an evangelist. Uh, W.E. Vine says that literally he is a messenger of good. So evangelism would be the act of announcing that which is good. And I assure you there is nothing better in this world than the gospel of Christ. It's designed to save men from sin. It's the good news of the joy and peace and forgiveness, the hope, the security that we can have in Jesus Christ. Notice, in Jesus Christ. If we could have had it anywhere else and in any other way, there would have been no need of Jesus coming. The fact that he came is proof positive of the fact that there was no other way for man to be saved. It's not in men who walk to direct their own steps. The prophet Jeremiah revealed that to us a long time ago in Jeremiah 10, 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul reminds us in Romans 3, after having established the fact that the Gentiles were sinners in Romans 1, the Jews were sinners in Romans 2, therefore all have sinned in Romans 3. There's none that does good. No, not one. All of us are sinners before God. Therefore, the need to take the gospel into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now there, creatures refer to men and women, mankind. I remember somebody challenging Brother Marshall Keeble many years ago. 
And uh, I cannot imagine anybody having the audacity to say this to him, but they were sort of uh, putting him down in a way, saying, Brother Keeple, your people do not have a nation. And he said, well, we may not have a nation, but we are creatures. And God said, preach the gospel to every creature. Every person has the right and the need to hear the gospel of Christ. We have worked at taking the gospel into places that heretofore were closed to the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Inroads are being made, have been made in Russia and China and other places. The gospel has made great inroads in India and numerous other places. We had a gentleman uh, came to Carthage just a few weeks ago and spoke to us about the work of the Lord's church in Israel, even in Nazareth, Israel, where Jesus grew up. Went to school with a man from Israel, a Jewish boy who was converted to Christ. And somebody asked him, how, how was it that you came to be converted to Christ? He said, the preacher who converted me to Christ knew the book of Hebrews. And he used the book of Hebrews to prove to me that the old law was no longer in effect and that the new law of Christ was to be followed. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities out there. Everybody needs to hear the gospel of Christ. Uh, we've told you what evangelism is. It's the spreading of the good news of Christ to the world. Uh, who may do it? Well, when the early church was scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word, Luke takes up a discussion of the work of one of those men thought to be the first deacons in the Lord's church. His name was Philip. He came to be known, Acts 21 verse 8, I believe it is, as Philip the evangelist. He is one who is carrying the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, he's been persecuted in Jerusalem, driven out perhaps from his home. But he did not become discouraged and despondent. He didn't give up. He didn't despair. He went forth preaching the good news of Christ. Went down to Samaria. Now Samaria was north of Jerusalem, but it was down as far as uh, sea level is concerned. And so he went down to Samaria, and there he preached the gospel to those people. And while there, of course, he was told by the Lord to go take uh, another road, to leave a rather populous city and go down there to preach to one person. That man is the Ethiopian eunuch or the Ethiopian nobleman as some have called him. He was uh, the secretary of the treasury as we would call him today under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He had been to Jerusalem far to worship. He was either a Jew or he was a proselyte. At any rate, uh, when he returned to Ethiopia, don't you imagine that he took what Philip preached to him back to Ethiopia? That would be down in Africa. And so the gospel is now down there. But Philip goes, ends up eventually in Caesarea. And there he is preaching the gospel of Christ. That's over on the sea coast, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. 
So the gospel is spreading. But deacons need to prepare themselves. They'll have opportunities to preach and teach the gospel to people. So many times they're involved in benevolent work. They're involved in various other endeavors uh, as they uh, take care of some of the programs in the Lord's church under the leadership of the elders. We have nine deacons at Carthage, and the elders assign them certain areas of work. And they say, now here's what we want you to do in this area. And oftentimes they make contact with people where they have the opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with them, to announce the good news. They're doing the work, really, of evangelism when they do that. So elders and deacons certainly need to be involved. One of the men that I knew in Indianapolis when we lived up there prior to moving to Monterey was out two or three nights a week involved in personal evangelism. He had a little testament like this, and I'm telling you what, it was filled with notes and so on that he had used over the years. And there's no telling how many people he had converted to Christ. There was a man in the church at where I preached in Indianapolis that uh, had a great speech impediment. But that did not hinder him from being involved in evangelism. He stuttered worse than Mel Tillis does. But he would go out and knock on doors and talk to people, set up uh, cottage meetings, and he was instrumental in converting a lot of people to Christ. And there were brethren who told me that it seemed that people were more willing to listen to him and to sympathize with his speech problem than someone who just came in and just swept you off your feet with their oratorical abilities. He was a good man, just a common, ordinary man. He didn't have any college degrees. He didn't preach. He didn't serve as an elder. I don't think he even served as a deacon, but he was involved in the work of evangelism. And yet so many times we say we can't do that. Now, we can talk about our favorite sports teams. We can talk about politics. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about the stock market and on and on and on, but we can't talk to people about God's Word. We need to take seriously the responsibility that we have. Timothy, a younger person, was admonished by Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 5, do the work of an evangelist. Younger people sometimes have opportunities that older people do not have. One of the things that I learned doing door-to-door -door work in Indianapolis, Indiana, you take a young boy with you, They'll put, people will open the doors for you. But two grown men walk up to that door, knock on the door, people will peer out, mm, you know, I'm not going to open the door to those fellas. Don't know them. But if you got a child with you, my buddy was Barry, and he was about that tall and was about eight or nine years old. And in downtown Indianapolis, He'd go with me, and we'd knock on doors around the church building there. We never knew what we'd encounter, but 
I don't ever remember people being at home and not opening the door when Barry is with me. You know, just a young boy. But he is a brave little fellow. And his daddy, of course, knew the area and had worked it quite a bit. But at any rate, Timothy was no doubt younger or older than that when Paul told him to do the work of an evangelist. But young people have the opportunity to involve in themselves in evangelism too. We've had several young people, either in high school, maybe juniors or seniors in high school, or just out of high school and into college, go on mission trips from Carthage. One young man has been to Mexico. He's been to Guyana over in uh, South America. Uh, we have those young people who have gone to Honduras and lots of places like that to be involved in the work of evangelism. So young people need to get involved in evangelism. Uh, the early disciples in general were involved in it. We've already seen that in Acts 8 verse 4. But somehow or the other, we think that only specially trained people can do it. Some of the greatest personal workers I've ever known are people who have never gone to college to preach or anything like that. They just simply know how to deal with people. It's always amazing, and I'm not picking on used car salesmen, but here is a fellow who can sell a used car without any problem at all, but he can't sell the good news of Jesus Christ. People who excel in the ability to sell things to other people are usually great personal workers if they'll just get involved in it. One of my teachers at Freed Hardeman years ago was W.A. Bradfield. Brother Bradfield could have sold an Eskimo a snowball. He was a great salesman. I believe he was a member of the Lions Club or something, and they would have this sale during the year when they'd sell. I can't remember if he's candy or what. But he would load up his arms. He was a big man, and he would load an arm up, just rick those bags of candy on that arm, and he would head down the main street of Henderson, Tennessee, and every person he met, he would approach. Now, you need to buy a bag of this candy. You know, it's good. It'll go for a good cause. It'll help the needy children and so on here in town and, and this, that, and the other. And there were people who told me that here would be a farmer in bibbed overalls, and he'd end up sticking a bag of candy or two in them overall pockets, you know. Brother Bradfield would end up selling him two or three bags, and he didn't even have any kids at home. Now, he was a good salesman. He's also a great personal worker. In fact, I studied personal evangelism under W.A. Bradfield. But at any rate, if we could get ordinary people doing extraordinary things, even though they don't realize that's what it is, just inviting a friend, asking someone if they would like to study the Bible, asking someone if, you know, they're ready to leave this earth. Uh, most of us don't like to think about that, but nevertheless, we're going to some of these days. And it's good to be prepared. It's sad if we're not prepared. Uh, even couples can be involved in evangelism. You remember the story of Aquila and Priscilla? Two of my favorite people in all the Bible. In fact, when I do a series of lessons about little-known characters, I'll talk about Aquila and Priscilla. As a great Christian couple, as far as I can remember, every time they're mentioned, they're mentioned together. 
husband and wife working together. Their occupation was tent makers. That was the way they made their livelihood. But they were also very much involved in the work of the Lord, in the work of evangelism. You remember when Apollos was teaching only the baptism of John in the book of Acts? And Aquila and Priscilla heard him. It is said that they, the two of them, took him aside. They didn't humiliate him in public. They didn't embarrass him. They took him aside where they could talk in quietness and reason with him. And they expounded unto him the way of the Lord more perfectly. There have been good sisters in Christ over the years who have made points to me that uh, I'd never even thought of. I've appreciated that. My first teacher was Miss Dixie Fox. Some of you remember Miss Dixie and Mr. Donald from down on Flint's Creek, went to Antioch where I grew up in Jackson County. I still have a concordance that was given me when I graduated from Freed Hardeman by Miss Dixie and Mr. Donald. In fact, it was the only book in my library that survived other than my Bible when our house burned. I happened to have it in my briefcase in the trunk of the car. Still have that concordance. At any rate, uh, she would take me aside sometimes and say, that word is pronounced this way. Or give me some other thought that I'd never thought about. You see, she was involved, in a way, in the same thing that Priscilla was, expounding unto me the way of the Lord more perfectly. I've known many husbands and wife teams that have done great work in the kingdom of the Lord and converting others to Christ. So men and women may be involved. We know women cannot teach, usurp authority over the man. But you see, she can teach in those ways as Priscilla did. She obviously assisted in leading others to Christ. And men and women can work together in that capacity. In fact, I've found many times over the years that a husband-wife team is probably one of the best setups in doing personal evangelism. Because oftentimes... Uh, two men will intimidate, especially an individual, uh, a female, by just uh, sitting there talking with her. But if there is a lady present, then that eases the tension. And so men and women, husbands and wives, it would be good to be involved in personal evangelism. We need to ask another question or two. We can talk about the tools that we can use in evangelism. I've been told that you have, I thought there was an overhead projector here somewhere. You have PowerPoint, I'm told. any rate, I see a clock over there. Uh, it's not quite time to quit yet. The tools that we can use are many. What do you start with? You start with the Bible. Uh, just before Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, you recall he told him in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He goes on to tell him why the time will come when 
men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll not endure sound doctrine. So you need to preach and teach the word. That's what we're to do. That's what the Jewel Miller film strips were all about. You can use those. You can use charts. You can use tracks. As long as you are teaching and preaching the word, then you can utilize any number of things. Sometimes just sit down with your Bible and do the open Bible study. Have a cup of coffee with a friend around the kitchen table and just study the Bible. It's amazing what people who have never really studied the Bible will learn uh, when they do. It's amazing what false doctrines will be corrected when you simply tell people what the Bible says and let them read it for themselves. I remember a person in Carthage many years ago who said, I've been told all my life the Bible did not say that when we had read a particular passage to her pertaining to baptism for the remission of sins and I said well ma'am now let me have your Bible don't want you to take my word for it I want to see your Bible she gave me her Bible I turned to the passage and I handed it to her and I said now you read it right there out of your Bible so you'll know I'm not making it up there were some denominational members who came to try to convince her that she should not be baptized into Christ and finally, after we had talked with them and her for a few minutes, I said, now, you have seen what the Bible teaches. You just have to make up your mind. Do you want to do it? Do you want to obey it? Or what you're going to do? She said, I've seen what it says. I know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to obey it. And those people got up and left. At any rate, that was just an example of a person who had always been told something, always assumed something. But when she opened up the Bible and actually saw what it said, her mind was changed. And she obeyed the truth. That's what we need to do. We can use visual aids. We can use the media. We can use uh, radio, TV, even the Internet. Just like any other type of media or technology, things can be used for good purposes or bad purposes, whether it's a telephone, uh, cell phones. Not long ago, I noticed a gentleman sitting over to my left at Carthage with his cell phone while I'm preaching. And I was at first a little bit bothered. He came to me after services and he said, Edward, I want you to understand that I'm not sending text messages. I'm not tweeting or twittering. He said, I have several versions of the Bible in my cell phone. And he said, I call that version up and I was checking every passage that you used. I said, knowing you, I figured it was something like that. Of course, when that phone rings now, that can be distracting. But most people turn them down during services. I have mine right here, and it's turned down. Miss Barbara checked it before I left home because I'd been announcing at Carthage we need to turn our cell phones off, and I got up one night in vacation Bible school, and lo and behold, guess what happened? My phone rang. I told him, I said, now that's not the Lord calling. 
But I'll see who it is in a few minutes. At any rate, I had not operated it as I should have. But there's all kinds of tools that we can utilize to the honor and glory of God. Why should we do it? Number one, the love of Christ constrains us to do it. Every one of us who is a Christian is such because somebody taught us the truth out of their love for the cause of Christ and for lost souls. Paul said, Brethren, the love of Christ constrains us. It's one of the most powerful forces in our lives. The work of the church is to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. That's what Jesus said he came to do. And if we walk in his footsteps, that's what we're going to do. Every Christian is to bear fruit, John 15.2. And that's a reason for us to try to lead others to Christ. Will you convert everybody with whom you talk? No. Will everybody that you invite come to the services? No. But you see, we have to keep on doing that. Sinners generally will not come to us, nor to the Lord, unless we go to them. We sometimes say, well, we have our building here. We've hung our shingle out. Uh, you know, they know we're here. They, they know we want them to come. Not necessarily. I went into a, we pulled into a building, a parking lot of a building in our travels one time. Several people in the parking lot. We got out. Nobody ever acknowledged us. We walked in. Of course, I'm not known for being too backward. Finally, nobody had spoken to us or said a word to us. I finally stuck my head in a classroom door. And this very gracious lady acknowledged me, and I said, Can you tell me where the adult classes are meeting tonight? She, with a very vivacious smile, said, We sure can. We're glad to have you. She had all those little kids around her. She was the only person that greeted us. And that after I approached her. Cold churches are like cold butter. They don't spread very well. We need to be warm and friendly and invite everybody that we can to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's take it to them, and then they'll come to the Lord. Thank you for your good attention.